When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Tristan Holmes. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Hythe, other than the fact that my body still doesn't know what time zone it's in. But other than that, I'm doing great. Happy holidays to everybody since I, I haven't been on this podcast since before the uh, one of those big ones we just had here. <laughs> Um, well, uh, you're right. It has been a little while. Um, since we last talked, uh, you wrote an article about, um, uh, potential Oregon ducks from the football team going to the NFL. I uh, figured we'd start out talking about that. Uh, you know, I, I think Oregon sent seven, uh, players to the NFL, uh, last year, uh, and it's looking like a pretty similar, uh, uh, group of potential pro ducks this year. I would say so. Uh, Oregon, obviously, there's a long tradition of, of of ducks in the pros, some of whom have gone on to have very distinguished careers. You can go back to, uh, you know, Norm Van Brocklin, Dan Fouts. Uh, at, when he was in Eugene, he went he went by the name Bobby Moore, but then Ahmad Rashad in the pros. They haven't had the same reputation for developing professional prospects as some of the uh, the real factories that you get, your Alabamas, your Georgias, your Ohio States, that kind of thing. But uh, this year's class, I mean, the obvious headliner uh, is Bo Nix, and quarterbacks get all the attention, of course, especially in the lead up to the draft. And Nix is... I think he's probably got an argument. I'm sure we'll hear people go back and forth. I don't think he'll probably go third. Uh, 
I think Penix might sneak ahead of him as uncomfortable as that might be for Oregon fans for, you know, Penix to beat Bo Nix again. I'm not looking forward to it. Uh, but I think there will probably be some talking ahead arguments about him going third overall in this class. Uh, you've done film review of both Drake May and Caleb Williams. So as I'm sure you're aware, their yeah. physical abilities are just put them in another category. Uh, and May might even have a higher floor than anyone else at this point, though his team... I, I honestly think that Drake May is the... You know, for... At least for what the NFL was for, you know, 40 years, Drake May was your bang on, you know, that's mm -hmm. who ought to be your quarterback. Um, like in terms of like, you know, can, can hit every throw, um, you know, you know, does not is not like completely dependent on a particular system. I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a fair thing to say uh, about panics. It's just, I've really only ever seen him uh, be successful um, in that system. Whereas, mm -hmm. uh, you know, may is may is playing in a totally pro style system. Um, uh, and Penix is, you know, playing in Kalen DeBoer's system where, you know, Kalen DeBoer's not going to be his coach, um, in the NFL. Uh, I, I think he's got the physical talent to be successful. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Um, he certainly, you know, has a hell of an arm. I appreciate his courage in the pocket. You know, um, I don't think he's as mobile as Drake may. That's the other thing is that, yeah. you know, um, may is a big strong you know tough quarterback who can you know pick up stuff with his legs when he needs to um that you know i don't really think is uh you know Penix's bag um and so in that way it's just like you know he's got you know may has got everything that Penix has going for him and then some um you know in terms of mobility and in terms of uh you know be sort of a little more NFL system friendly. Um, although that said, like, I don't, the, the idea that Penix like couldn't possibly work in any other system, I think is probably an unfair, you know, rap. Uh, it's just, we haven't seen it. So, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. Um, and Caleb Williams, on the other hand, like I, I given the modern NFL and what, you know, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson and some of the other like really mobile quarterbacks have been to the NFL in the last like five or so years. Like, yeah, I wouldn't doubt that the NFL would want him, you know, highly because like they've sort of they they've turned they've turned the page on wanting you know an improviser um it used to be that they hated improvisers um because they were like well our play caller is a genius so why would we ever want you know uh you know the lunkhead who pulls the trigger to be you know doing you know taking the 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 the, the pen out of the hand you know of the genius play and then you know it turned out those guys aren't geniuses like at all you know as we have you know discovered is that most of the people that the NFL cycles through at the offensive coordinator level or, you know, you know, no smarter than you or I, uh, you know, so it's like, yeah. And probably not any 
for a lot of them, probably even not a lot better at their job than a lot of, you know, power five offensive coordinators. They just happen to know someone who, who got them an interview. Uh, <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh, of the four of those human beings, like in terms of just like pure physical gifts and like accomplishments in terms of like, you know, passing from the pocket, uh, you know, Nick's is probably, you know, the fourth place, you know, out mm-hmm. of them. Um, it's just, you know, he, he's the most experienced, like you are getting out of Bo Nick's, you are getting a dude who's like, you know, like on his second or third year, uh, like, or, or should be on his second or third year of an NFL career. It's like, you sort of like, I, I feel like that that's the appeal is that he's, he's such a veteran, you know, at this point is that, you know, you could probably take him. I probably wouldn't start him right away, but I would, if I were an NFL team, and I was like, look, I've got my starter, but I'm a little worried about him getting hurt and needing a quarterback to play, you know, in a spot where, like, I don't want my developmental quarterback. I want, you know, a dude who could take us the rest of the way. Um, like, yeah, I would want Bo Nix. I, I would want Bo Nix more than I would want the rest of those guys, you know, as a like, you know, finish the job kind of quarterback you know because like the dude doesn't really make mistakes like the dude you know he takes care of the ball you know he he makes the appropriate throw he's super accurate he reads the field correctly like he's just you know in terms of having his head together you know and and just being the vet like yeah number one with a bullet among all those guys Without question. And, uh, you know, it's interesting you mentioned uh, the Lamar Jackson comparison for Caleb Williams, because the comparison that I make for, you know, someone that experienced who could have a high level of success in the right setup is actually the guy on the other sideline. And uh, full confession here, my mother's family is from Northern California. So I grew up a 49ers fan. So that Mm. game uh, yesterday was not a whole heck of a lot of fun. But uh, the comparison I might make is uh, is a Brock Purdy. Someone who is who is who I also lot. did a full year of film study on. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, someone who uh was less experienced than Nick's coming out of college because literally no one in the history of college football has played more games as a starter at quarterback than mm-hmm. Bo Nix. That is just the numbers bear that out. Uh but as someone who has found success, admittedly surrounded by a lot of talent, uh on that 49ers squad and with uh, a really good offensive coordinator with his head coach. But if you're looking for someone who can be a backup on a rookie salary and has the potential to just let what you have work, may not elevate or be able to improvise as well as a Caleb Williams or maybe even a Drake may, but is going to make that offense work is accurate and can fill that Brock Purdy role. And frankly, probably has a stronger arm and more athleticism than, than Purdy himself. Then uh, that is the argument I would be making for Bo Nix. If I'm, if I'm at the draft table and I'm saying our turn has come around and I think we need this guy. I mean, it's funny. We didn't see it that much this year. Um, or like hardly at all. But like the, the other thing about Bo Nix is that like he has elite level escapability. Like, oh, yeah. 
you know, uh, I mean, we saw it a bit in 2022, like a couple of plays where it's like, I mean, like the way that he would spin out of pressure and then run for first down is like, I, I mean, I watched so many teams. I mean, you know, just Liberty Project, uh, yeah. in which it's like the quarterback needs to do that like three or four times a game, and like we saw that maybe three or four times this season for Bo Nix. You know, mm-hmm. like because of the nature of Oregon's offensive line protection, but like. And so, like, I don't know, NFL teams, you know, scouts may not be picking up on that because they didn't have to see it at all. But, like, <laughs> dude, that's a valuable skill. Like, a, a very valuable skill, especially if you're if you've got an early early ish pick, your offensive line might not yeah, be all right. that great. It is funny how many, you know, NFL quarterbacks, I've, you know, Oregon has played and I have done films, you know, Josh Allen back in 2017. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I watched all that guy's film like. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of dudes like uh, Russell Wilson. You know, <laughs> I watched oh, all yeah. that guy's film for Wisconsin. Like, yeah, no, uh, or- Oregon's played a lot of NFL quarterbacks over the years. Um, and, and, and beat had a fair a few. few of them. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. You wrote about uh, T- uh Troy Franklin, uh, mm-hmm. as well. I think that's another, you know, pretty high draft pick. Uh, I, most of the scouting reports, I, I try not to get. I tried to actually expose myself to some some dedicated NFL resources rather than just thinking where I'd like to see these players, because, you know, as an Oregon fan, you know, my bias is going to be, yeah, take them high, get them a payday and put them in a system where I think they'd be really successful, whereas an NFL team isn't going to necessarily be looking to maximize the player necessarily as as fill a need. Uh, and if you need a slot receiver at the NFL level and you feel like that's something that's missing, then I think Troy Franklin is someone who you should take a long, hard look at and pretty early at that. Now, with that said, at Oregon, he was not the primary slot receiver, especially not this year with the emergence of Tez Johnson. He did a very good job from the X position. I hadn't realized quite how low a weight Franklin had been playing that this year. He's tall. He's 6'3". That's tall enough to work on the outside, even in the NFL. But he's only 187 pounds. And I, I did read a few scouting reports that were critical of his blocking ability. Mm-hmm. So there might be some questions about, okay, if you see more aggressive press man coverage on the outside, are you going to be able to release from that? And can we rely on you to do downfield blocking against NFL defenders. But in terms of speed and change of direction ability, has the ability to make big plays at the next level. In terms of hands, generally reliable. We did see a few strange drops, but nobody catches them all. I remember I saw Jerry Rice drop a pass once. Admittedly, I can only remember the one, but there were probably more than that. So most projections I have uh, see him as uh, as a round two pick and one of the first 10 receivers taken. And in the right system where he can uh, put a little more weight on, I think he could find a lot of success, especially if they're willing to move him around a little bit. Yeah, and that's another one where I sort of feel like his NFL potential is somewhat obscured by the you know, the nature of Oregon's scheme in which like he's really asked, uh, you know, he was asked to run a bunch of like, you know, 15 yard in breaking routes mm-hmm. um, in, in instead of the like, just run the post like yeah. over and over and over again. Um, 
and uh you know he he you know he's great at like you know shaking the coverage he's great at like doing that dip and turn thing in order to get oh, yeah, that, yards that signature move where even if it doesn't work as well as you even if he doesn't break a huge one he can pick up three to five more yards on that more often than not yeah. at the college level that was always sweet to see but like the nfl is looking for receivers who are like you know like I don't know. Every NFL game that I watch is like nothing, 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 nothing. Eighty-yard touchdown, uh, and, and which is why I can't stand the NFL. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, I want to watch the ball getting matriculated down the field and like some mm-hmm. strategy. Um, and uh, 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 yeah, no, I sort of feel like the way that he was used in Oregon's offense is like it was really good for defeating college defenses. I don't, you know, I don't know what scouts are going to see and, and, and how they would see how it would translate to, to what NFL, you know, teams are looking for. I think it's interesting too, that like a six, three dude would be like, well, let's make you a slot receiver. But like, you're right. He totally could play out of the slot. It's just like, mm. you know, there's so many college teams that would be, you know, like, you know so thirsty for you know yeah outside receiver who's taller than six foot (laughs) Uh, yeah i mean college coaches especially do get kind of horny for height at times i try to avoid that but if you're an outside receiver having having long arms and being a little taller than the person covering you on those sideline routes it isn't gonna hurt anything uh, you wrote about Brandon Dorless, uh, one of my favorite ducks ever since his true freshman back in 2019. Um, you know, I uh, we'll talk about Jackson Powers Johnson in a second. He uh, won the Remington Trophy this year for the nation's best center. Back in 2019, the nation the Remington Trophy went to Wisconsin center. Uh, who, after I studied Wisconsin, I was like, this guy doesn't deserve it. He got the award for just being Wisconsin's offensive line you know it was like well wisconsin's probably got a good offensive line let's give that guy the center and i was like i don't actually think he's that good i think that oregon's gonna have a pretty good game against him and they did and uh and you know and so i was putting clips in my article of brandon Dorless, mid three star from you know true freshman uh you know just uh, wrecking the remington trophy winner and i was like those guys don't you know watch film um and hey there was another offensive line award that happened this year that was sort of reminiscent of that anyway brandon doral is really good um you know you listen to his article that he played the four eye which is like i guess you know that's true at times he did play that position but he was really all over like i you know i would i would see him play everywhere from three to seven like uh you know really versatile um yeah, no, I really like this guy. Um, I, you know, I, I really, I think he's got going to have a long and rich NFL future. Yeah, he's had such a productive career. It was a little tough to place him uh, again, just because Oregon has used him all over the front at the college level. He was quick enough, like you say, you could put him out at the at the seven, and he could be productive there. I mean, the mint front that. I mean, technically, the so-called standard, as I under as I understand it, having read your articles, is you got you know a four I, a zero, and a four I, but there's a lot of variation on that depending yeah. on what the offense does from time to time. He's played in a five tech as well in kind of a quote-unquote traditional three-four end spot, and he's been successful everywhere. Honestly, he probably should have drawn a lot more holding flags this year yeah. than he actually got. He's started. I don't know if he he 
watches European football as well, but he started the sort of, you know, help, help, I'm being repressed, sort mm-hmm. of waving your waving your arms around when someone was grabbing his jersey. Uh, and for someone who's looking for depth on their D-line, I think that positional versatility could be some something that uh, makes him really attractive. He's not the biggest guy by NFL standards. I mean, again, 6'3", around 290 pounds, that's, that's pretty darn big for most human beings. But when you're talking about uh, professional defensive linemen, particularly in a three-down front, that's not overpowering. So he may find some criticism there. But probably going to be a second-day pick, especially if the scheme they're going to values versatility. Uh, again, this was a little bias that came out in the article. I compared him a little bit to Eric Armstead. Uh, mm. I don't think he's quite that physically imposing. He doesn't have the same arm length. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if he's ever going to uh, find a niche quite like that, but just something that lets him playing him from a position where he doesn't have to overly rely on speed. I don't think he has the sort of perimeter uh, initial burst that you might generally be looking for at the NFL level in a pure pass rusher, but he's someone who could certainly set the edge and compress the pocket. Uh, yeah, no, I just really, uh, I, I just think he's, you know, he's, he's a tremendous athlete, you know, like the, the way that he, you know, he's, he's just like his, his physical strength is his technique, uh, you know, it was incredible and it was incredible as a true freshman, like, you know, and, uh, uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I think it's invaluable. Like the, the, uh, and I definitely think his frame could take, you know, I I wouldn't use him as a nose tackle, but like, you know, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that, you know, that's, that's an NFL dude. Like he's got mm-hmm. it written all over him. Uh, Powers Johnson, the center, uh, um, the, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not sure what the criticism of this guy is like, you know, the, uh, I think he's got the right frame for it. He certainly knows how to get the blitz protections, you know, uh, you know, out like the, he doesn't get run over. Like, I don't know. What criticism of him did you find? Uh, the criticism I found was, uh, at least the some of the scouting reports I read, this wasn't universal, but there were a couple of them that said they don't see him as necessarily being uh, an ideal to play at guard if you're serving him as a backup and you need to rotate folks and he's not at the center spot. Specifically, they question his ability to pull and his ability to get to the second level. I that struck me as a little odd because Oregon moves their offensive linemen even now that they're getting bigger than they were back in the Chip Kelly days quite a bit. I I felt like I wanted to mention that just because the uh, the reports I was reading didn't have him as a high round pick. They were thinking third or fourth round, and that's part of it because you know because of the limited roster spots on an NFL roster, especially with offensive linemen, if you're not thinking them as one of your starters, you probably want them to be able to play at least two, hopefully three spots in a pinch. So if Mm. scouts see someone who, who is a great center, but might be a liability at guard, that's going to be a ding on his draft record. And the only other thing is that again, 
I didn't actually grade him. So you, you tell me, Hype. You you've graded him not only this season but other seasons. What do you think of that that criticism? He's Oregon's best offensive moving. lineman. Like yeah. you know, now nah, he's I mean he's fantastic in run blocking. He's super, you know, mobile. He's nailing his second level blocks. You know, my the, if I had criticism for him, it, it was in in pass protection against like really big defensive linemen that he'd give a little ground. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but it's like that's the least worrisome thing, because when you're moving up to the NFL, like that's when, you know, and you don't have to like go to school and stuff like that's, you know, when dudes get really big, like, right. you know, all right, that, that was the least worrisome thing. Uh, and then uh, let's talk about Bucky Irving. Um, you know, I this is one where like, you know, you you. You wrote, I think, that he's a third or fourth round pick, which about makes sense to me simply because, like, the NFL just doesn't value running backs anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, if they did, I think he'd be higher, you know, like, because he's such an improviser. Yeah, I'd like to think so, because one of the things that we as Oregon fans who have been watching this guy for the last two years, he has just that everyone who watches him says, you know, his greatest uh his greatest asset is his ability to change direction on a dime and accelerate quickly. So if, if there's not a hole where there's supposed to be, he's got the vision, he can try to find another one and he's got the quickness to get through it. It, His top speed is no slouch. And I think maybe the best thing he has going for him, especially these days in the NFL as a back is he's shown really good hands and he has shown the ability to split out wide, which is, that kind of versatility is very valuable. Yeah, his value is a pass catcher. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I listed, you know, given the the value that teams place on running backs as, you know, essentially expendable, uh, for lack of a better term. The, the one thing I think he does have going for him is, frankly, he just hasn't seen as many snaps. He backed up Mo Ibrahim at Minnesota, and he's had at least one uh, person to share the load with his two years at Oregon. So he's pretty fresh. Yeah, he doesn't have the same, uh, you know, miles on the tire. You know, like, uh, uh, you might, th- you know, a lot of people sort of, you know, might think of him as like, oh, he's been this primary running back for 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 all this time. And, you know, look at the number of like yards he's put up. It's like mm-hmm. the number of yards he's put up, you know, is because he has a really high yards per carry average. Like the actual number of runs, you know, carries that he's had is is not that big. Like, yeah, his uh, he doesn't actually have that many miles on the tire and he hasn't actually taken that many hits. Like, yeah, no. I agree with you. And then the last guy you wrote about was Kyrie Jackson, um, who I like. it's weird. I didn't wind up doing any film stuff. Like I, I do film study on all, all like just about everybody who transfers into Oregon. Cause I have film from other, you know, their, their previous school, it, you know, but he was one of the exceptions because like backup cornerback at Alabama, I just like, I couldn't get any usable film on him. And then, and then at Oregon, like, uh, you know, he, he was very good. You know, I, I, I got the, you know, the film that I did on him, but then, you know, he was injured and he, he missed, you know, some of the year you, your, you know, rep on him was that like, yeah, he seems pretty good. Uh, he missed some of the year. Uh, he, he probably wouldn't be, you know, that high except he's six foot three. And so some NFL team's going to take a, you know, flyer on him because they need cornerbacks because cornerbacks are super valuable. You know, it's, it's, you know, the, the, 
the the pieces that produce the passing offense and the pieces that stop the passing offense are the super valuable you know positions in the nfl so like yep he, you know he'll he'll jump up a couple of rounds and on the draft boards and i was like yep yeah, that's about the shape of it. I mean, this is this is someone that as an NFL team, you're not going to draft on the tape because there just isn't a lot of tape. I would have loved it if he had had more tape here at Oregon. I think Oregon could have really used a fully healthy Kyrie Jackson, especially in <clears throat> the two games they didn't win. Uh, but unfortunately, we didn't get to see it. But I mean, you just look at the salaries and the draft picks that are used in the NFL. You're looking at quarterbacks, left tackles, pass rushers, pass catchers, pass defenders. And you've got, you've got a again a six three corner long arms he can run stride for stride with most receivers he the scouting reports say from what they have seen you know good in press man coverage has has some to learn when he's playing just different pass coverage techniques but some some NFL staff is going to say no we can we can get the most out of this guy we can we want to take a year or two and coach him up. All right. And you wrote a little bit about some of the other guys who have not yet declared. Well, I'll leave a little mystery. Uh, listener, you should go and, and read Tristan's article about those guys. Um, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk some women's basketball. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So uh, the ladies head down to uh, St. George, Utah, uh, for some reason, um, and uh, and played against Utah Tech, which I believe used to be known as Dixie State. Uh, I, I don't know why a team in Utah was known as Dixie State. And apparently they didn't either because they changed their name. Uh and then also played Oklahoma State. This is like the like I don't know why this tournament existed. I don't know why the teams were there that were there, and I definitely don't know why Oregon lost to Utah Tech. Um, but like they did. Um, th uh, uh, your uh, theory seems to be Utah Tech just got super hot from the three point arc and shruggy shoulders emoji like what are you gonna do when a team is just like nuclear hot from the arc like that is, is that a fair characterization of your opinion I think that's a pretty fair characterization. Uh, I mean, when you're up against any basketball team that is making more than two thirds of their three pointers, so they're scoring two more than two points per, per attempt from beyond the arc when you average it out. Uh, the fact that this was only a six point game is actually a mild surprise because we haven't come to expect from this uh 
this Oregon women's team, uh, you know, even against uh, a team like Utah Tech, you think, well, yeah, you should be able to score on these folks. If you had said they scored 86 points, I would have said, oh, they finally put away uh, a lower level team. And then you told me, well, they gave up 92. I would have said, wait, what? And then you told me, well, 67% from beyond the arc. I would have said, well, well, I, I, not that I would have said. I did say, boy, um, I don't exactly know how that happens, but I'm not sure what you do about that other than uh, just concentrate on trying to get your hands in the air when when they're at the perimeter a little bit more. Uh, there was one player uh, I want to give a shout out to, even though it's on the opposition, uh, McCord, the guard for Utah Tech, who uh, made eight out of 10 from the three-point line. Apparently, this is not the first time that she's made eight three-pointers in a single game, so you might have yeah, expected yeah. that, but uh, it was a Division One record for made three-point shots, and I, I don't know what you do in that case. Yeah, and then, but like that wasn't it. Uh, that wasn't all. You know, they had another player go six for ten. They had a, a third player go four for five, and then uh, two other players were perfect. Uh, you know, one for one and two for two. You know, and it's like, good lord, man! Like, and I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't able to watch this game. Unfortunately, and, neither was I. I know I wrote the article, but again, this was, you know, in part of the Trailblazer Classic, which mm. apparently is a thing now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the thing that's, you know, but just like parsing the, the box score, like the non three point shooting Oregon defended at the same, you know, like basically Utah Tech was not getting U Utah Tech was not scoring uh, anything except for uh, uh, three pointers. Right. Like they, they yeah. sunk tw 21 three pointers. Um let me repeat that they sunk 21 three-pointers right so that's 63 points they wound up scoring 92 you know which which means they scored fewer than 20 points uh you know from oh and they hit five three free throws so 14 points 14 points from two-point range right like or oregon's playing good floor defense it's just that you know, or at least statistically, like this game was on some network that like I, I didn't get like I, I w wasn't able to watch this game, but I'm just, you know, looking at the box score and it's like, look, uh, and I just like I, I, I have a really hard time believing Oregon suddenly was just playing like just atrocious defense because they haven't been playing atrocious defense for the rest of the year and they didn't play atrocious defense the next game against Oklahoma State uh which is a game that I did watch um and, and like I mean it would be yeah I just I just have a really hard time believing that the reason that Utah Tech hit a million three-pointers was because Oregon just like was terrible in defense and just was letting them shoot uncontested threes. Uh, uh, like, I suspect that this was just one of those games that happens in basketball from time to time in which the team that you're playing just, like, goes unconscious from the three-point line, in which case, you're just, like, good night. Like, uh, you know, and, and, and 
and and there's just like nothing you can do about it because like if they are the it's worth three points you know like and, and you know to reiterate like oregon let them score 14 points from the two-point line or from you know inside the, the three point like they're they're playing good defense you know or or at least so it appears from the box score like and then and then the other thing is that like you know the the thing that like i've been freaking out about like all year like is the offense like like what are like all year what have we been talking about that like boy oregon's defense is you know playing nominally you know it's just that they're they're barely scoring more than 50 60 points and like a lot of these ladies just aren't contributing anything at all well not so in this game you know mm-hmm. like you know grace van sluten's you know 25 points on 11 for 23 shooting uh you know, uh, Chan- Chance Gray finally is above 50%. She hit six for 10 on three point, you know, like in any other game, you know, uh, we jumping for joy. She's like, she's more than 50%. She's finally jacking up threes and making them right. Uh, Filipina chase six for eight, right? Like, uh, you know, gets, gets nine rebounds. Like, you know, Sophia Bell finally is contributing stuff, right? That you know, three for six from the four. Sarah Rhombus chips in four points. Uh, Chamberlain chips in 11 points. It's just like the offense is finally producing. And like, lest you say, hey, Utah Tech, like they're, you know, hey, you know, they're scoring 86 points against all their opponents. No, they weren't. You know, <laughs> like they played a bunch of lower division teams in which they could barely score, you know, more, more than 50 or 60 points. It's like, you know, they were finally scoring points. I was like, oh my God, they figured something out offensively. And it's just completely obscured and forgotten by all the, you know, all the people who are just like, you know, that they are all, you know, by the fire Kelly Graves crew, which like, look, man, I got like one foot in the, in the fire Graves bandwagon, you know, because I do think a lot of the, the flaws with this team, like for example, not having a point guard, you know, after that, you know, after Peyton Scott getting injured, like not having a backup and like having so many players who are like kind of, you know, non-scorers on, on the bench. Like I do think all of those things are his fault. Like I, I got a foot in the, the fire Graves bandwagon but there are people who are like throwing a party on it and we're missing out on like a lot of the stuff and i think are, are probably misanalyzing this game because they're just like emotionally like i am so pissed off at losing to this game that like i'll just make stuff up and not really look at the box score and like the box score shows a really good offensive performance and utah tech just being unconscious from three at least that's my interpretation do, do you have a different interpretation tristan I, I have nothing to add to that. I, I, I mean, it's like uh, for all you old fogies out there that remember NBA Jam on the Genesis or the Super Nintendo, when the opponent's ball is on fire and that you know like seven point uh, bonus spot opens up and they take the shot. Well, guess what? In that video game, you're down seven points. That isn't exactly what happened here, but. It, we talked about how, you know, Graves has a lot to answer for with losses to uh, uh, the big blowout to University of Portland and some other games against, you know, uh, lighter weight programs. But this one, I mean, sometimes it, sometimes the other team is just sinking all their baskets and this would be a little bit easier to it might be easier for the casual fan to forgive if this was Arizona or Stanford. Look, it just happened to be Utah Tech. They made 21 three-pointers. What What do you expect the coach to do when the other team is making 21 three-pointers in a game? 
Yeah, it's I mean, it's just kind of nutty. And I mean, look, I didn't watch the game, you know, like I I couldn't like I I, I tried and I couldn't make it work like it's possible that, you know, what I just asserted, you know, that like, hey, there's no way that Oregon was just like giving them constant open looks and were just bumbling around on the defense like it's possible that's wrong. You know, it's just it would be like crazy because that's not what they did in any other game. Every other game, they've been actually playing pretty good defense and the problem is they can't score a bucket. Um, and uh, and so I don't know, maybe this game was played in upside down world in which now they can score a bucket, but they can't play defense. Like, uh, But I I I really just doubt that that's the case. I think they probably, you know, like. I think it's probably the case that they played their same nominal defense and they ran into a team that was just going nuts, you know, from beyond the arc that night and that and that they're probably in the process of turning the corner a bit on offense. Um, And the reason that I think that is the next game that they played, which was against Oklahoma State, you know, a power five team, not the greatest team in the world or anything, but like certainly an upper division team in which they turned in a 70 point performance. Right. Uh, Yeah. And we saw some of those trends continue that we, that we saw against Utah tech. Right. Where chance gray sinks half of her three pointers. Right. Sophia bell, uh, who, you know, who up until, you know, the last three games I've been being like, why is she starting? She can't score anything. Well, she scores 15 points in this game, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in which she, you know, goes, you know, five for seven from the floor, including three, you know, three pointers, um, and, you know, and makes, uh, uh, you know, two, two free throws, um, how the hell did you score 15 points? Oh, yeah, yeah, because that's nine. Never mind. Uh, and, uh, uh, y- you know, nobody else is jacking up threes and missing them. Um, it, well, except for Priscilla Williams, uh, who goes one for four. But, hey, they got Priscilla Williams on the floor. You know, thanks, Northern District of West Virginia. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Filipina Che and Grace Van Sluten are, you know, producing from the floor, you know, as nominally. They're getting points chipped in by, you know, you know, uh, Kennedy Basham and, and, and Kennedy Williams. Uh, hey, they're scoring points. Like, that was the thing that I've been, like, rattling the chain about is, like, please score points. Like, please, somebody, you know. And and look, they are. They're scoring points. Yeah, they're scoring points, and they started scoring right out of the gate. At the end of the first quarter, they were up 16-8, to eight, and uh, they didn't let up. Oklahoma State rallied a little bit, technically outscored them by uh, – a total of one over the second half, but they tied them up in the second quarter and were able to hold on to that lead pretty much the entire time. But it's like Oregon, like they, they were shooting 49% from the floor, 46, you know, 0.7% from the three point line. Uh, uh, they, uh, you know, half their points came from the paint. Uh, you know, they had, uh, 10 fast break points, uh, you know, it's like everything, you know, offensively that I've been asking for all year was like showed up in this game. And then, you know, defensively, they performed, you know, 
nominally, you know, mm-hmm. with, with, with the exception of giving up, uh, you know, again, uh, you know, a, a few more three pointers than, than would be expected. Like in this, in the second quarter, you know, they, they gave up a uh, 50% three point shooting, which is pretty much, you know, why they, the, the, the opponent crested, uh, um, uh, 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 60 points, right. Is, uh, you know, they had a good second quarter, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, um, but in that, you know, they limited them to 33% shooting from the floor. Um, uh, uh, oh, and they were fouling a bit. That was sort of the other things I, I, you know, Oregon was playing pretty aggressive defense and that they, they, you know, wound up getting called for a bunch of fouls, a few more than I thought was, I sort of thought the refs were a little happy with the whistle to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and then, you know, to their credit, Oklahoma state was like, you know, pretty reliably hitting their free throws. Um, but like, you know, Oregon was basically playing their nominal defense. Like this was a pretty like thorough, you know, you know, I know the final score was seven points. Oregon was in control of this game the whole way. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Uh, I, don't believe they ever trailed in this game. It got yeah. it got close, but uh, they they came out and they took control of the game and they held on to it the whole way. And you know, as you say, I mean, again, Oklahoma State. This isn't uh, a powerhouse, but this is a Power Five team. And if we can see performances like this in conference play, this this Oregon team is certainly not going to be the favorite to, you know, take the tournament at the end of the year, probably, but it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a lost season by any means, if we can see some of these trends continue on. And, and I certainly hope we do. Uh, I mean, if you want to nitpick, it was only 60% from the charity stripe. You'd like to see that up a little bit, but uh, there's a lot, it seemed like there was a lot more ball movement in this, uh, in this game than we've seen previously. There's a lot more assists, coming on the stat sheet against Oklahoma state than we've seen in previous games. That's true. 21 assists in the game, um, in, in including eight by Kennedy Williams, um, mm-hmm. which like, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. She, you know, considering that she came off the bench, you know, in this game, I like, I think, you know, Graves has been starting Kennedy Basham, um, who I don't know. I, I, I think they like her as a defensive player and, and maybe there's some value there, but like, I don't know, they've been Kennedy Williams and Priscilla Williams, right? So there's a Kennedy Basham, there's a Priscilla Williams, and then there's Kennedy Williams. So this is really going to trip me up. Yeah. Uh, man, I, th- think i think maybe they they might want to start reconsidering like some of the lineups you know stuff like the sophia bell maybe has turned a corner she's actually scoring points now like chance gray's finally sinking her three pointers so like okay you've got four and like obviously you're not taking grace van sluten or philly che off the floor so like you got four but it's like uh, uh okay so so who who's your you know who's your fifth starter they've been defaulting to kevin kennedy basham but like that's i don't know i think that i i you know that probably deserves some consideration like you know maybe priscilla williams now that she's available i don't know maybe kennedy williams because like as you say she was really shoveling it you know pretty well um in this game uh and and they need a point guard or do they need somebody to fill in for peyton scott 
Um, yeah, exactly. That's the thing that we've it, talking about, you know, things you can blame uh, Kelly Graves for, you know, how come you didn't have uh, a replacement point guard ready to go. Right. Or just a backup, you know, yeah. like did, was his plan to play her for 40 minutes every game? Like, I, all right. Uh, and anyway, you know, as I'm sure you recall, you know, all season long, you know, all the entire non-conference, I, I had been like, you know, ham hammering the table about like, uh, you know, because it seemed like a, an, an extension of what I was pissed off about, you know, in the previous couple of seasons about where, you know, Oregon would play decent defense, but they couldn't put the ball in the bucket. And they even their, you know, they're not they're they're nominal, you know, their guards, you know, their stars, you know, just couldn't put the damn ball in the bucket. And I was like, where is my offensive production? And, you know, and then, you know, with Van Sluten hurt and and Che, you know, still developing into a basketball player, like if your guards aren't stepping up and making buckets like that's a lost season. Uh and so when this year, it, it seemed like more of the same, you know, where it's like, oh, my God, they don't have a point guard and they can't, you know, make a bucket. I was just like, I can't take another year of this. And but these last several games sort of I've been like, hey, look, offense, like that the thing that I wanted, like it's there, like even though they had an embarrassing loss to a lower division team and you can Utah Tech, if you if you dive into it, like there's more offense in that game than like, than, than, than a bunch of wins, you know? Yeah. In the long run, it might actually be a game to feel more optimistic about this team. Yeah. With, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how they do going into conference play. Like it, that, that could all be an illusion. Who knows? Um, but like, I don't know, man, I, I kind of came off of this, you know, given that my number one thing was I want more offense, I want more offense, I want more offense. I kind of got my wish. So like, I don't know, maybe I'm the maybe I'm the dog who, who you know, comes home with the car bumper in the mouth like uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see, I guess. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back. We will talk some Liberty football. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So this morning, uh, we were recording this on Tuesday night. Uh, this morning, I, I recorded a different podcast um, 
uh, with John from uh, Sea Red uh, uh, about uh, Liberty football. Uh, I didn't, you know, he basically like confirmed most of the things that I suspected, but it was still a very useful conversation in, in that I learned that I wasn't crazy. That was good. Um, and that the stuff that I observed was like, yep, you know, that we, we observed the same things too. Uh, and, and that the players that I expected to, you know, the, 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 the players in the rotation were, are going to be what I expected them to be. The players who are not going to be available are going to be not available as I expected, like all of these things. Uh, uh, you know, John was a good guy to talk to, like he's very realistic. Anyway, that, that podcast, uh, will be out at around the same time that my, uh, article will be, which is on uh, the morning of Friday, the 29th, a couple of days before the game. Um, uh, and, uh, and Tristan, you have been, uh, also like, you took a look at um, some of the uh, the games as well. You set up some of the preliminary charting, um, and uh, you've been doing some some of the analytical work as well. So I figured we would talk a bit about it um, in anticipation uh, of that article. What do you think about this team now that you know we've got all that under our belts? Well, with all of that under our belts, uh, this is gonna. This is going to come off as sounding like damning with faint praise, but I think this is an example of a big fish in a small pond. I mean, mm. going, I, I want to just come out and say it. I don't care what level you're at. I don't care what athletic advantages you have. Going undefeated is hard, and they yeah. pulled it off. So absolutely credit where credit is due. Uh, they did have a couple of close calls. This That's is not true. just stomping on everyone. And I, I got to see some of their closer calls. There was one against Sam Houston State, which is a team that is actually in the midst of transitioning up from mm -hmm. the FCS level, where this offense just wasn't really clicking that night. And it ended up being closer than it probably needed to be. And in fact, Sam Houston State had a chance to win the game using uh, a strategy with their passing that I, I, I'll run by you at some point during this conversation. And the other real close one that I got to see a lot of plays on uh, was against Middle Tennessee, which mm -hmm. is uh, another team. I don't, I don't think they made a bowl game. That game... Now, obviously, we're talking about, uh, for sake of comparison, other conference USA quarterbacks, but Middle Tennessee's quarterback actually had some zip on his ball, which, again, I think brought to mind. I mean, this is an offense that poses some unique challenges, uh, and the defensive staffs in Conference USA, when they normally only had one week to get ready for it, frankly didn't do a terribly good job of getting their players ready for it there were a lot of misreads there was one play i remember with a backside defender who obviously should have been taking the quarterback had a chance to hit the quarterback from the blind side and cause a fumble and just went for the running back and yeah. their quarterback said oh gee i that guy should have hit me i guess i'll go score now uh, <laughs> yeah no um, i mean it's i mean you're right it's just like you're right about any team that goes undefeated. That's impressive because it means that they never slipped up. But it's also the case that any team that goes undefeated is had a lot of good luck. And like it was just it's all over the film is like, boy, this team had a lot of, you know, lucky strokes, you know, and, and survived close calls where like games 
games definitely could have gone either games games that were big wins could have been real close and games that were real close could have been losses if they had instead of good luck they had bad luck um yeah well it was it happened all the time or i was just like sort of watching goofball opponents where it's like no don't do that like no what are you doing no 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 that's not how you defend that like yeah you know what are you going to do? Like, you know, all those things happened in the past and on my screen, you know, I can't reach through it and into the past and correct, you know, the mistakes that the opponents were making, you know? Yeah. And with that said, I mean, the athleticism in this backfield can pose a challenge. Uh, obviously Salter, their quarterback has a lot mm-hmm. of athleticism, oh, yeah. uh, you know, up there with any number of power five. Oh yeah. Quarterbacks. Like just in terms of his lower body at, at least. Yeah. I would definitely say like uh, of all the, like that's the challenge with this project is trying to figure out what scales up and, because you're right. Like so much of this, of, of, you know, Liberty's playing against conference USA and like the four other teams that they played that weren't conference USA, but might as well have been because they were equally bad, you yeah. know, that cause they played like UMass and Buffalo and Bowling Green and old dominion, which are not conference USA teams. But if you look at their team talent profile and their F plus scores and their quarterbacks passer ratings, it's like they might as well have been man. Like they were just as bad. Um, uh, uh, like, um so much of liberty was just like hey they just had like you know it was just like men among boys you know that was the thing one of the things that i talked about with john is that like one of the things that makes it sort of difficult to to figure out how liberty is going to perform against oregon is that it's like now it's going to be men against men you know and it's like they've never it's never been the case that they played a team in which they weren't at at least several positions on the field not all of them like you know there are several positions where it's like they were the equal of the teams that they were playing but for for several positions you know not it was you know men versus boys um and top of that list like the thing that's like, this is definitely going to scale. This is definitely like, this is elite. No matter who you are is like Salter's legs. Like, yeah, like absolutely. Like that dude was a four star at Tennessee. He never played for Tennessee. It's like he enrolled, he did spring ball and then he bounced. So like you never saw him, but Tennessee did recruit him. Mm -hmm. Um, and and for a reason you can see why yeah like he's definitely like elite athleticism and improvisational like ability like yeah a hundred percent and and i mean one of the things that i talked about with john in fact i sort of think like the fulcrum of our of our podcast is my opinion i I wonder what do you think about this tristan my opinion is that where the game turns is is containing Salter on improvisation. Like Oregon's going to break through in pass protection. Like, cause, cause the offensive line Liberty's offensive line is, first of all, it's one of the, the men among boys things uh, about Liberty. Like their offensive line is just so much bigger than the defensive lines that they were facing. Like, uh, like, of course they were able to run all over them. And, 
uh, like most running run based teams, you know, they, you know, they want to be efficiency based and, you know, you got to get them into third and long, because if you let them win on first down, they're just going to run three times on second and short, third and short, fourth and short, and they'll pick up one of them. So you got to get them into third and long. If you get them into third and long, then guess what? It's like Oregon State. It's like exactly the strategic context that I described for Oregon State, which is that like if you let them be efficient, they'll have an efficient drive and kill you. But if you get them into third and long, their quarterback can't really get them out of third and long, except unlike DJ Uyenglele, it's like it's like if Oregon State had Cam Ward for a quarterback. You know, it's like Oregon State's rushing offense, although it's not that scheme. Um, But with but with Cam Ward, the like improviser improviser quarterback, you know, where it's like, well, I guess I'll run around and make something up, you know, on third down. If you can keep him in the pocket, you you know, you have a pretty good chance of success because he's not that great of a pocket passer. except for when he is, I don't know. I'll come back to that. Uh, That's another question that I want your opinion about Um, the, the, but like, oh man, he'll scramble around and improvise something. And like his legs are elite. I mean, just, yeah. And so like, that's where I think the game turns is that like, they're going to break through that this offensive line, because as good as they are in run blocking and as big as they are, they just suck in pass protection. Like I was being kind of polite to John and he's sort of pushing back on me, but like, he's wrong. They're terrible in pass protection. Just like is for as good as they are in run blocking, that's as bad as they are in pass protection. So, like, and, and, and the whole like men among boys thing, you know, it's like, or, or that like, you know, Liberty dominating bad competition, you know, and, and then, you know, the difficulty of then scaling that up against, well, how are they going to play against Oregon? Well, that's not something where it's like the, the opposite side of the coin is equally true. If you are getting your butt handed to you by CUSA opponents, that means that you're going to get annihilated by Oregon on that same question, right? Like if Conference USA defenses are beating up your offensive tackles in pass protection, then Oregon is going to unhinge their jaw and devour them whole, right? Like Oregon is getting in your backfield. The the question is, are they going to be able to let Salter run around and make a play? In which case, it's going to be a long game. Like it'll go to the fourth quarter or... Or, or are they going to shut him down, you know, get a sack or a throwaway or like a, you know, a two yard pass that goes, you know, and then they have to punt, in which case the game will be over very quickly. Um, and like, I, I think the entire game comes down to that, not the, not the. Not the question of will Oregon get into the backfield. Yeah, they definitely will. But the question of what happens next, you know, will, will they, will they, allow a third down conversion on improvisation or will they stop a third down conversion from improvisation that's that's what determines the game in my opinion uh and i don't i don't know the answer to that question we'll see that's why they play the games as they say it's always a challenge for uh for a front seven when you're facing a quarterback like this who can be so dangerous improvisationally because you don't want to get so passive that you just let them sit back there 
on the other hand, you have to maintain discipline in rushing lanes in order yeah. to prevent them from from popping out. So it's this high wire balancing act for them. And that's going to determine whether this Liberty offense can get anything going, both in the passing game and really in the running game. Because while I do like Liberty's backs, as you've said, the numbers bear out that where they get their their big chain moving plays is when someone bites on on the dive and Salter is able to get out on the edge and use his own legs and or the pitch to, yeah. to get chunk plays. So if you can if you can prevent him from getting those chunk plays on the perimeter and then contain those scrambles on passing downs, that's the challenge on defense. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about the rushing offense is that you, I mean, you have to be accounting for the quarterback at all times. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, you have to be accounting for him scrambling on passing plays and you have to be, you have to account for the quarterback draw on passing plays. Like when they start to drop back to pass, you have to remember it could be a quarterback draw. You have to remember it could be a scramble. And on run plays, you have to remember that like, you know, He's a thousand yard rusher too. You know, you have to account for the the quarterback is part of, you know, it's a triple option rushing offense. Now, I think that the rushing offense is actually not that difficult to contain or at least strategically, like it shouldn't be that difficult to study your film and figure out the answer because all of their triple option runs start with the inside run and their inside runs are the least effective runs. And so all you really like all of their damage is done on the outside all of it, like all of their damage is done on the outside. And so all you really need to do is sacrifice a single defender to play wide and force the run on the inside and just be able to stop inside running with the remainder of your defense, which if you've got big defensive linemen, you should be able to do that. Well, guess what Oregon has, right? Um, So you know, I, I I think that Oregon should be able to study the film, realize that all they need to do is force the run inside, just never let the run get outside and and just have, you know, you know, you know, j- just like, yeah, a- a- account for the quarterback being able to keep the ball and then like have your like i i think that um the mint defensive structure actually matches up with this offense really 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 well um in terms of wanting to contain the short passing check you know uh spill and kill defensive structure for containing outside runs check you know the the they need to be able to stop inside running but like the they they have the big defensive linemen in order to do that. CUSA teams were effectively able to do that, and they have much smaller, you know, like I, the, the run game doesn't really concern me, you know, I, in, in that regard. Like, the, it's just you need to be aware of, you know, the, the prospect of the quarterback to run because, like, he's definitely a real threat. Does that, is that, does that match up with what you see about? Uh, the way the run offense is structured that r- lines up with what I've seen. Uh, again, most of the, I got to see non garbage time in two full games. A lot of other times I was working with either highlight packages or extended highlight packages. Yeah. So it's a bit of a biased sample size, but all, all the big hitters are getting to the edge. Uh, when it when it comes to the offense and the occasional rainbow that Salter throws despite well, the throwing motion. That's the thing is that like 
especially the beginning of the year, I like, I really figured that I had Salter pegged as like, he's just an athlete. He can't throw. And like his throwing motion is really funky. And like, and for much of the year, I mean, even at the end of the year, he's like, man, I really think that they were lucky not to have more interceptions than he did because like, I think he's, his RPO reads are pretty poor. Like in the conference championship game, he threw three, like he threw three balls that should have been intercepted because his RPO read was wrong. And like, dude, the, the dude that you were reading is standing right there. Like you're supposed to hand the ball off. Instead, you're throwing it right at him. And somehow he didn't intercept it. And then you did that again. And then you did that again. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, this is insane. And like he threw yeah, like, and, you know, he throws, like, way too much of a fastball. He's like, he really whips his body. And here's the other thing. There's this crazy stat where the dude can't throw deep on Liberty's side of the field, like Liberty's side of the 50-yard line. Like, over and over and over again, if they're on Liberty's side of the 50, he'll try to throw it deep and just fail miserably. Like, he can't do it. But then like a magic curtain at the 50 yard line, he like passes through it and, and then he can, which is like, what? I don't, what? I, I'm sure you saw these where, and and it's why he has like, he has, he's like the number one quarterback in America for, and it's because they don't pass that often. And so it's like the denominator is really low, but like in terms of, like number of long passes per pass. He's like the number one quarterback in America. It's like nothing but bomb. Now, another large part of that is like how terrible the competition that they're facing. Like there's so many coverage busts, which is super frustrating because like you can't really put that stuff in the article because it's not, it's not helpful to put stuff in the article where it's like, you know, look, they completed a pass where the defense is useless, you know, like, well, of course, you know, but that's not useful to anybody, you know? Yeah. That's, that's tough to filter out when you get those explosive plays from, uh, yeah. from defensive breakdowns and, and some there of it's so that... many defensive breakdowns because oh, these gosh, defenses yeah. were God awful. Like this was, Oh, I mean, they just played such a terrible schedule. It's just, it's so hard to feel. I mean, that's what I mean. The purpose of this podcast is sort of to talk about the writing process and like, man, this has been it's been really difficult to select clips for this article, even though I have an entire season's worth of them, because like you're trying to filter out the clips where the only reason this play succeeded or like it's just not a good that's not a good way to put it, because the only reason is not you can't you can never really just reduce it down to the only reason. But like it is it, it is irremovable from this play that, th- that there was a huge success because the defense or the opposing team was just a colossal screw up. And like that's not useful. And it's like, well, that's like 80 percent of the plays that I have because they're they literally played the worst schedule in America. So like, man, that means a lot of this film is just worthless. Uh, 
which yeah. is unfortunate. But if we want to be realistic and useful in the kind of analysis that we present, which is what Addicted to Quack has always prided itself on in these film reviews, then we've got to acknowledge it. Now, has so this leads me to. Uh, did you have anything more to say on the offense, or should we switch to the defense? For no, we can talk about the defense. Yeah, we can talk about the defense. So this actually comes back to the point you were making about the offensive line, where a strength for a team against this schedule might not be a strength for a team against a team like Oregon, but a weakness is probably going to be an even more notable weakness. And there was something I noticed watching the film that I'd really like your opinion on because I want to make sure that I just didn't have a, a biased sample and that this this was a pattern that continued. How many times did you see Liberty Secondary fail to pick up a switch release? Oh, all the time. Con they 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 can't pick up a switch release at all. I swear Sam Houston State nearly won the game by mm -hmm. running the same switch release, I think, yeah. five or six times on a seven or eight play. Oh, no, they, they constantly got I mean, they, they got two times during the entire season. They got a, a pass and offensive pass interference called in their favor. But like, you know, they, they I mean, they can't handle rub routes. They can't handle like basic scissors concepts like, yeah, no, I just don't like their secondary is not. Their secondary is the deepest part of their defense, and it's athletic. It's why they get so many interceptions. I mean, they literally had the most interceptions of any team in the country with mm -hmm. 21. Um, a large part of that is just playing so many god-awful quarterbacks. Um, and, I mean, the other thing that's super frustrating uh, about the film is that, like, and this was actually kind of funny talking to John. So they have, like, two two starting cornerbacks. One is named Kobe Singleton. The other is named Amari and Williams. Kobe Singleton has four interceptions and a bunch of pass breakups, and he's got a bunch of great stats. And so John was like, it's interesting because a lot of the fan base loves him and would sort of describe him asterisk as the lockdown corner. And I was like, whoa, hold on. He's like, wait, hold on. Let me finish my sentence. But like he's also gets burnt all the time because he keeps playing for interceptions. I was like, oh, yeah, you're, you're right. Sorry, I should have let you finish your sentence. <laughs> and I was like, because the dude who's actually the lockdown corner is Marion Williams. And the reason that I know that is that he has no stats at all. Right. Because quarterbacks don't throw against him. And like he's like, I don't know if Williams is actually good, good or not, but I do know that he's better than Singleton. Because a the structure of Liberty's defense has you know just tells me that the the Liberty's coaching staff trusts Williams to be on an island, whereas in their sort of split man zone stuff, like Singleton is the one who's getting safety help, and, and Williams is the one who's out on the island. B to the extent that I do occasionally see quarterbacks throw against Williams, he's not getting burnt; he's you know winning, whereas. Singleton is and see like you know opposing quarterbacks are picking on Singleton like every single game they pick on Singleton all game long you know and Williams they hardly ever throw against but here's the thing like that I wanted to ask you about see if you saw as well is that like and is sort of a frustration in writing about is that like oh my god just constantly I would see Singleton get absolutely cooked by the wide receiver like the wide receiver would have him beat by like three, four strides. But then the goofball quarterback that they were playing would just airmail the ball and just totally miss. And so like, 
you know, on my charting system, like my tally system, I mark down a frowny face for Singleton because it's like, well, you got beat, dude. But at the same time, it's a defensive win because it's an incomplete pass. So it's like, what am I supposed to do with that clip? You know, like, should I put together a clip compilation of like, look at all the times that Singleton got beat, but the quarterback couldn't do anything with it? Like, who's, you know, what is, what a, what a jerkwad thing to, you know, put to put together? You know what I mean? I, I agree. And again, uh, Unfortunately, uh, we weren't able to get, you know, every full length Liberty game for this project. So uh, I was reviewing a lot of a lot of highlight reels. The extended highlight reels would sometimes show those plays you're talking about. I didn't get to see as many of them because if you're putting together a highlight reel, you're probably not going to include the uh, oh, hey, this guy was wide open and he was missed unless it kills a drive. And there were a couple of times where it killed a drive. Yeah. And so that that was definitely something I noticed. I mean, it was fortunate that we we wound up getting film on every game. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so we have, you know, uh, like there isn't a single game that Liberty played that we don't have at least some film on, you know, some some degree of sample on. And we have more than half of them. We have full games and I reviewed, you know, all of them, which means we do have a substantial enough, you know, sample that I feel comfortable talking about it. And then it was nice to have John confirm you know, in, in the podcast that we recorded with him, it was nice to have, you know, all, all the observations that I made, which were fairly comprehensive, you know, he was like, yep, you nailed it. Yep. You nailed it. Yep. You nailed it. Which was like, okay, that's gratifying. You know, it means I, I don't really think there was anything that we missed for not being able to get, you, you know, the full stuff on every single game, which is, you know, my goal usually is just like, boy, I was really blindsided you know, by Liberty, I, 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 I was collecting full film packages for a bunch of teams that I thought would have been more likely bull opponents. And this one really surprised me, but anyway, um, yeah, that's, you know, that's really one where I think, you know, Oregon probably has a, um, you know, or Oregon's probably got, uh, some advantage, you know, that they can leverage there where they, cause they don't have a goofball quarterback, you know, certainly uh, not. We were just talking about how he's going to be, could very well make it into the first round. And I don't see a scenario where he falls out of the second round, which is a yeah. lot different than any other quarterback they've had to face. And I mean, that was something else that John, you know, and I talked about is like, you know, the defense is just, you know, not the strength of the team. Like for, yeah, we're, we're going a little long. So, you know, we'll wrap up here in a little bit, but you know, I just want, you know, it's, it's very clear that like if Liberty wants to be in this game, they, they got to keep up with scoring, you know, because the, the defense is just not nearly as strong. And, uh, you know, Oregon is probably assuming that they're not like sleepwalking and that they're actually showing up and trying to win, you know, that like they're probably going to, you know, score 40 plus points, you know, in this game simply because Liberty's defense just isn't going to be able to stand up, you know, to 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 an Oregon offense that's actually you know trying um and they have substantial vulnerabilities that even CUSA teams were able to exploit and then you know and and, and then Oregon's going to just be able to exploit them harder and, and then e even then there's stuff that was clear on film that like boy that vulnerability is there but the CUSA team wasn't able to take advantage of it but boy I can think of somebody who can um mm -hmm. 
And there's other stuff too. Their linebacker depth is poor. Um, and I think that Will Stein is going to have some 12 personnel packages to really, you know, hammer it that, you know, the, 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 the you know, they, they can't stop efficiency running, you know, which means that there's an obvious strategy. Um, yeah. I also you noticed know. him playing with a light box uh, a lot yeah. of the time. Generally, it was a six yeah, box. Weird. You know, very. That was something that John and I were, have both been stumped about. Is they play their dime package not just on obvious passing downs, but also on standard downs, which like they can't stop the run in the dime package. Like, go figure. Like, it's strange. So anyway, like, yeah, you know, Oregon's probably going to score a lot of points in this game. You know, assuming that they aren't. You know, assuming a nominal performance which like i i can't guarantee or anything bowl games are weird and you can never exactly understand what everybody's mentality is and and so forth but you know given the fundamental strengths of both teams and what the film on both teams are and when the players that we expect it to, to 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 play uh you know oregon's probably going to score a bunch of points and so therefore you know the game is probably going to turn you know whether the game you know goes into the fourth quarter or not or even a Liberty win, you know, has to do with, you know, stopping, you know, Liberty, when Liberty has the ball, you know, they, they, they would need to, they would need to, to, to hold the ball, right? Like they, they, they need to win time possession with, you know, uh, with, with long drives, you know, they need to, to convert a bunch of third downs. Uh, they probably need to do, you know, improvisational stuff, you know, to convert third downs. They probably need to convert some fourth downs. Um, and they probably need to hit some explosive passing. Um, you know, they, they really need to, you know, they, they need to, they, they sort of like, they need to have, I, I think that the, the character of those drives would need to be like, you know, six play run play drives to get them to like the 40 and then they hit a rainbow pass um, to, to, to Oregon's 40, I mean, and then they hit a rainbow pass and then sort of like repeat that you know, uh, enough times to like, keep up, you know, with Oregon. Um, I, I, you know, that's the formula I think, or the most realistic formula for the game going into the fourth quarter. Um, on the other hand, like, you know, if Oregon, I, you know, if Oregon gets a couple of th- three and outs or, 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 you know, prevents them from crossing the 50, you know, in, in during the first quarter, like Oregon can probably like, you know, is probably in a position to put 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 the game away by the by the end of the first half and the game sort of looks like the colorado game mm-hmm. um you know uh or you know or the stanford game you know something like that like where where uh liberty tries to make the game look like the stanford game where they hold the ball you know but then like oregon just sort of quickly scores and puts the game away um yeah, like, but, but as I say, like, you know, from what I watched, like, I mean, it's a, like, Liberty's a no joke offense. Like, it's, it's multifaceted. It has the capacity to hold the ball. It's efficient, like, and it can be explosive under certain parameters. You need to have done your homework and you need to stay disciplined. Like, all of these are real challenges. Like, and, mm-hmm. And it's definitely the case that if Oregon is like sleepwalking through this game and just sort of like relying on their, just if they just sort of say like, well, we've got a bunch of 
you know, blue chips and they've got a bunch of two stars and walk-ons. And so therefore this game is no contest yawn. And they just have been playing Xbox for the last month. Like, yeah, you know, Liberty can definitely take this game to the wire. Like, absolutely. Um, could be because like, I mean, it's the fifth ranked offense in F plus. Yeah. Yeah, th- this is an offense that is difficult to prepare for and fundamentally sound. And, you know, you don't want to, the most classic example I can think of in my lifetime is don't Appalachian state this. Just yeah. re- prepare for it like you prepared for any other game this season. All right. I think that'll do it for us this week. Uh, you got any parting words of wisdom for us, Tristan? Well, whatever pseudo-pagan uh, winter solstice festival you happen to observe, I hope you had a delightful one and a happy new year to our entire audience. Uh, yes, well, we'll be uh, uh, recording one more time this week, uh, and so therefore we'll get one more in before the new year. Uh, but this will be the last time with you, Tristan. So uh, uh, yes to one and all uh merry christmas and a happy new year uh the days are finally uh, getting longer we had the winter solstice um uh, but still pretty dark out there uh, of course it never rains on this podcast <laughs>